me an H. No. H. No, Give me you. an L. No. L. Give me a T. T. Is this supposed to be B. my voice? B. It's both of your voices. What's Why that spell? Why is it so high pitched? H-L-T-B, as in how long to beat podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That was what Discord thought of your interest. Uh, I got so excited, I accidentally clicked leave call. I'm not editing that, that's late. That's staying in. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the podcast, dear listeners. And thank you, co-hosts, for playing along with my intro so kindly. Um, we've got... I was going to say a great show in store for you today, but I'm just going to say we have a show for you today, <laughs> and we'll go from there. We'll decide at the end whether it was great or not. So uh, we got four segments for you today, our Recently Be Currently Playing. After that, we're going to have our host segments, where these two nerds will say their crap, and then I'll test hey. out my brand spanking new delightful segment, which may or may not even last. Uh, we're going to have our intermission, and after that, we'll be talking about the current game of the month, Chrono Trigger, and round it out with one final question from the forums. So without further ado, and for the sake of time, I'm going to try to keep us to about 20 minutes per segment. That'll keep us to around 80 minutes of a you know, benchmark goal. Historically, that has worked very well. Yeah, definitely. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to set the timer for 15 minutes, and then we're going to have five extra minutes at the end of every section to just flail our arms around and wrap everything up. That's the thing is we'll use it all and then go over. <laughs> yeah. Talk about the time that Evanescence ate Gordon Ramsay's fish or some shit. That will only make sense if you listen to last episode. Uh <laughs> And only... It doesn't even make sense then. <laughs> yeah, Smash Mouth, Smash Gary. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I gotcha. I was on board. <laughs> anyway, the 15 minutes has started. Recently beat currently playing. Who's going first? Rick, I nominate you. Okay, I was going to say I started last time and I'll let someone else, but I will go for it. So You're just I the first you person on my screen, so I, I pinpointed you. Also most important, but we'll leave that to one side. So... I've beat two games since we last recorded, both ones that I was cracking on with last time. They are Hana Samurai, which I'm a little bit more reserved in my recommendation, having finished it, because I think it does run out of ideas quite quickly. And at the price, it's probably enough to justify it, but I'm not as positive about it as I was two weeks ago, which isn't to say it's a bad game, it's still a pretty good game but it's not what I think it could have been, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, but still good. If it looks good, it's still worth a go if it appeals to you. The other one I'd be, and this I would absolutely recommend, is Shin Megami Tensei 4 on the 3DS also. And I had a blast with that. Got the neutral ending. Took me in the region of 80 hours. Loved every minute of it. The dungeon crawling is really good. The combat's fantastic. It's a really good sort of spin on turn-based battling with the press turn system, which if you've ever played Persona, it's a little bit like that. But instead of um, attacking weaknesses, and if you get everyone's weakness, you get a big sort of 
extra massive attack. If you hit someone's weakness, you get an extra quote-unquote press turn. And um, there's also smirks, which are certain buffs and debuffs. But there's, there's a lot of depth to it. There's a lot of demons to fuse. It's just a great game. I could gush about it forever, but I know that Curse Timer is running down and down and down. So Real quick, uh, though, I do have one question. So what is ahead, the difference guys. between Shin Megami Tensei and Persona? Because for the longest time, I thought they were just the same thing. So Persona has... I mean, the biggest departure that Persona has is that alongside the dungeon crawling, which is randomly generated dungeons, at least in the more recent ones, you have this sort of visual novel slice of life thing going on where you have to maintain relationships with different people in your class and that ties directly back into the battle system in that befriending certain people to certain levels unlocks extra fusions and extra um, options when it comes to your party setup and your dungeon crawling so the the two sort of feed back into each other in a loop and what people tend to like about that and i definitely liked it about P3P is that just as you're starting to sort of burn out on the battling, then you've got to go to the park with one of your friends and you it the two complement each other in that way. Shimagami Tensei 4 is a straight up RPG. So um, it's sort of a quasi open world. You can walk around in segments a little bit like Monster Hunter and the rest of the world navigation is done by menus. But other than that, it's all combat, all side quests. Obviously, there are conversations you can have with NPCs, but they're not nearly as fleshed out as they are in Persona. Weirdly enough, though, I think 4 is more accessible than the Persona games. Because my experience, and I don't know about you, Toast, with the Persona games, is that it takes a good 5 or 10 hours to get into them. Especially you're learning all the systems, you're juggling. They have very slow starts anyway. Um, the first 60, 90 minutes of four were a bit of a slog, but once you get past those, it all opens out and it actually caused me very little trouble all the way through, even on the optional bosses. I think that answers your question in a very roundabout way. Yeah. So, I mean, at least to me, it sounds like I'd probably enjoy Persona more because I like that yes. kind of slice of life type stuff. Most people do, yeah. And, um, that's why they sort of have a lot more critical acclaim than the mainline series now, funnily enough. But sure. uh, yeah, we'd still massively recommend. In terms of what I'm playing at the minute, there is one new game on top of the games that I've already discussed last time, and that is Dakura on the Vita. And I don't know if either of you have heard of it at all. No, I don't think so. No. So it's a little sort of chalk art style side scrolling puzzle platformer. So you are a skeleton, and you have to save the princess from the underworld. Now, around that cliche is a body-swapping mechanic. So she can only see you when you're in your human form, but in your human form, your movements are much more limited. Uh, and there are certain interactions that you can do in one form that you can't in another, and you swap on the fly. You're also able to draw chalk in, but it's early days, and I don't know how much that incorporates into the puzzles. Uh, I'm about 20 minutes in. Seems nice enough so far. So the art style is very, very charming. It sounds cool. How do you spell it? Uh, D U no D O K U R O. It's in the EU. It's a PSN exclusive, but it's only like five pounds. It sounds rad. 
it's I've enjoyed the time I've spent with it. I I don't think it'll be like Hanasama. It seems already like it has much more in terms of ideas in the bag. So I'm quite optimistic about that one. Looks like it's on Steam too. Is it on Steam as well? I just Googled it and it popped up on Steam. I imagine it might be a little bit more finicky on Steam just because you have to draw with the mouse rather than directly onto the touchscreen, which you can with the Vita. I guess I suppose if, you, if you have like a touchscreen laptop or something, maybe you could do that. That's true, actually. Uh, I'm, I couldn't say how it was configured because, like I say, I'm playing on Vita, but if, if Steam's your only way to play it, you know, you've got two hours to refund it if it doesn't work quite right. So... Yeah, check it out there, I guess. And then in terms of what I'm still playing, just very quickly, uh, if I jump back into that tab on the website, I've got Kid Icarus. I'm two-thirds of the way through that now, I think. Actually really, really, really enjoying it, more than I was last time. In terms of precision controls, you definitely notice the limitations the most there. But in every other respect, in humour, in the gameplay, in the variety of the gameplay... And in all the customization and options and things you have that, it really is stellar. And just for my own curiosity, I took it for one of the levels out of the little stand it comes with and played just holding the 3DS. And I can confirm that it is playable like that. You don't need to be sort of bound to the little stand on the table. And then Portal 2, I'm a couple of hours into that. The humor's ramping up, the game's ramping up. It's Portal, it's great. (laughs) And... Resident Evil Revelations is still on the go, but I haven't actually touched it in a couple of weeks, which I blame mainly on Portal, but I am planning to come back and finish that one. But yeah, that's me. I played five more minutes of Phoenix Wright as well. Five whole minutes. So tell me, <laughs> have have you finished the first case? No. <laughs> what is wrong with you? So much to do and not nearly enough time to do it in is the problem with <laughs> You're not even past the tutorial on it. No, I'm not. <laughs> Don't shame me. So I bet you're just dying to know what's going to happen to poor Larry Butts, who's <laughs> been up on the witness stand for a month now. He's getting a bit weak at the knees. <laughs> Starting to fatigue. Almost ready just to go to jail, just to be over with it. <laughs> he can wait. He'll be all right. All right. Anything else to add? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. Um, I guess I can go next. Um, I had this pulled up. Where did I put it? Uh, so recently beat. Uh, surprisingly, there was only one game that I completed within these past two weeks, and it was Bayonetta Two for the Nintendo Switch. Ooh, and okay. I mean, it's Bayonetta. It, it's it's just a platinum action hack and slash beat 'em up, whatever you want to call it, game. And it's just it's good. It's it's good. It's uh, it's stylish. It's styling. It's profiling. I uh, I do think that I hurt myself a little bit, not like physically, but like my experience of it by like playing straight through it. I think I beat it over the course of two days, just straight through. Uh, it was only about eight hours that it took me or whatever. Um, 
and I kind of wish that I had prolonged it out a little further than I did, because, I mean, the levels themselves, playing them, the variety of the gameplay is really awesome. The story is not so awesome. <laughs> the story is pretty bland and generic and anime, but other than that, big fan. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I feel like you're cursing your enthusiasm for it a little bit. <laughs> I <laughs> no, I loved it. I really did. Um, I thought it was super dynamic, and I thought that the balance of the gameplay was just incredible. Uh, I I don't know how they did it to such a level that you can feel like you're achieving something, even when you're kind of underachieving the whole time. <laughs> um, I mean, I got a fair few bronzes on levels, but I was getting at least silvers and a couple of golds through most of them. And, I mean, I was definitely working hard to get them, but I think that the amount of reward that they give you for the effort you put in is pretty remarkable. So that's that. Uh, currently playing, I think the only new thing that I've added to the list is uh, Castlevania Lords of Shadow Mirror of Fate for the Nintendo 3DS. Oh, I hated that when I played it. I I don't hate it. Uh, it's just like, everything is great about it except the gameplay, I would say. Mm. I mean, the visuals, you gotta at least give it that. The visuals, the execution of, like, the way that you view the scene, uh, the way that it's almost set up like the whole thing is on a stage is pretty unique and special. Um, but then, like, it's super linear, even though you can can technically backtrack to earlier areas, there's not really much incentive to do so. Um, there's not incentive to, like, level up your health or magic all that much, because if you die in, a, like, a boss fight, uh, then you just go back to the beginning of the last phase that you were uh, fighting the boss on. So it's oh. not like you even have to restart the entire boss. Mm. Um, but I was surprised to learn, I did not know this when I began it, but it is the same team that did the uh, Metroid 2 remake. The well, I was so concerned about that before it came out. Yeah, yeah, and I can understand your concern, but what I'll say is that they nailed the Metroid gameplay mm. in ways that I think that they just couldn't do trying to get the whole Castlevania feel down because they were like trying to do a combo based system from the Lords of Shadow games and dropped the ball on it totally. I don't think that combo t style combat is their bread and butter. I think they do much better with the shooty shooty stuff. I don't know whether it maybe felt better on 3DS as well. I mean, when I played it, I played on Steam, and I literally couldn't get past the first half hour. Not skill-based, I just didn't like it one bit. All of the controls felt very floaty to me. The visuals were really, really underwhelming. It just didn't Whoa, feel like... hold up yeah. now. The visuals are incredible. I, maybe on a 3DS screen, in 1080p on a PC, they are not... Nearly oh. say. Maybe if it was just a bad scaling job, but I mean, it's entirely possible. But damn, those backgrounds are just 
gorgeous. At least on 3DS. So when it came time for the the Metroid port, and I saw their name, I just sort of died a little bit inside. But fortunately, I think they learned a lot of lessons from that, and it all came good. Mm-hmm. But I, it, it is still that weird kind of like half linear, half not sort of gameplay. But I mean, I think that they give you better incentives in Metroid Two than they do mm-hmm. in Mirror of Fate. Anyway, I'll move on from that because I've talked about it for a long time. Uh, everything else that I'm currently playing is stuff that I've been currently playing. I haven't touched Final Fantasy VI in a long time. I haven't touched uh, Shadows of Valencia in a while, um, nor Breath of the Wild, which is still sitting in my playing folder, even though I haven't touched it in months. Uh, all I've really been playing other than that is more of the second Phoenix Wright game. I finished the worst case, and now I'm about to start the best case possibly in the entire series. So I am I am glad I pushed through to that. And other than that, I've put like 20 hours, maybe actually close to 30 hours in the past uh, like two weeks alone into Xenoblade Chronicles. So I am getting very close to the end game of that. And mm. the story is getting to some weird places that I'm not sure if I'm totally on board with. Uh, there's one character who joins late in the game who I just don't really care for as much as the game wants me to care for them. So, yeah. But other than that, I mean, the gameplay's still fun. I love the main cast for the most part. And it's just, it's a culmination of being able to finally complete this game that I played back in high school, and that on its own is worth something. So I, I will shut up. The best now. one too. Out of the three, out of yeah, easy to play games. The best one. I haven't played the other two. I played like the first hour of Xenoblade Chronicles two with my friend, and it's just it's weird. I mean, the gameplay and the music are incredible. The world design was exceptional from what I saw. The voice acting is god awful. Um, and it just kind of has a weird look to it. Not even to mention the way massive boobies and stuff that just... It does seem like such a, a sea change from the first game to the second in terms of characterization. Because it was so great in the first game. So I don't know if it's the same in America, but the English dub has a lot of regional English accents. And so you have like random Welsh NPCs. And, and people who sound distinctly British in so many beautiful, wacky ways. And they look not photorealistic, but believably realistic. And then you look at screenshots for two, and it's just like generic anime. Pretty much, yeah. Like, and I mean, Damn. they still have those like English dialectian uh, characters and stuff, but most of them just don't know how to act. I mean, there's, like, an anime cat girl who is one of your sidekicks early on, and her her voice acting is one of the worst things I've heard in my life. That bad? There's just no emotion behind it, and not even, like, in a, like, I'm a cold, emotionless character, but that's my character, so I'm going to, you know, emphasize that. No, it's just... The, char- the voice actor sounds bored reading the lines, basically. Um, you could always choose to listen to it in, Jap- in like Japanese. Do they give those 
options? I don't know if they gave it on the, the like, I don't know if they gave those options, but you could always find a way to Im implement it. On Switch? Oh, the voice acting. Maybe, like, they might, I think it might be a download pack, maybe. Oh, maybe. I hope I don't have to pay for it, but... <laughs> Some of them you do, and it's ridiculous. That is and it ridiculous. Makes me angry. Like, Gunganranpa on the PS4, you have to pay for the um, Japanese voices. Wait, really? Um, for the newest one, for V3. For you have V3, to pay for okay. The... Yeah, and it really ticks me off. And That's which annoying. is why I, I bought that. the Vita version. That's not okay to do. I know that on the one. They won't keep doing it. <laughs> I know that at least on the 1.2 reload, where it's Danganronpa 1 and 2 uh, on PS4, that one at least has the Japanese voices that you can toggle on and off. But that is very frustrating about V3. So now that we have talked about Danganronpa once again on this podcast, uh, Toast. Go ahead. Um, okay. I... You're a little bit less enthusiastic about it. <laughs> well, I'm Don't just sound so like... much like you hate video games. <laughs> I just have a life, peasant. You're uh... saying I don't? Mm, I don't know. Okay, so I finished Kira Kira. Hey! And I... Yeah, so that one took forever for me to finish. And it's not because it wasn't good, and it's not because it wasn't, like... It just, like, you kind of burn out with that one, because... You know, like, after you graduate high school, and you're going to meet up with friends from high school, and you haven't seen them in years, and it's that kind of feeling? Kira cool. does it really, really well but you kind of, like, burn out on that feeling because it just, like, makes you really bummed out. Oh, okay. I don't know if I explained that well enough. No, you did. Yeah, I think I get the idea, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot like that, especially with you, like, watch the characters grow up and, like, drift apart, and it's hard to watch and it's hard to read. Yeah. So you don't really want to finish it. Um, And I don't think that the super, like, true ending, happy, happy, was, like... I think it was not the best one. The one that actually where, like, shit goes wrong and it's just, like, terrible, I think that one was the best ending. Like, the really bad ending. Isn't it always? Yeah, oh, not always, because you get games like Muv Love where you're playing lacrosse and, like, bad ending and, like, some bad endings are just bad. <laughs> That's kind of um, how I feel about Undertale 2. I will never allow myself to see the genocide ending. About what one? Undertale. Oh. Not a visual novel, but I don't I I will never be able to go the genocide route on that game. I just don't have the heart for it. Wanna get Ross to take one for the team? Yeah, you could always just YouTube it. I don't even want to do that. Like oh. that's just too dark for me. Poor Kirk, he's too good for this world. <laughs> um, so that one's done. And um, then um, I had already started it, but because I'm really bad at multitasking, um, I didn't get very far, so I restarted EF, which is my next visual novel I'm going to play, and that one's super, super high production values, like animated, like 
images just by default all of everything is animated so it's super nice and it probably is going to be better because Kira Kira had like pukey art Uh. so that one's that one Um, I started also Dandelion which really sucks what Um, is it? and I had it's like it's like a Korean visual novel and it has really, really pretty art, and everybody told me that I'd like it, and then I don't like it. I think it's really shitty, and it's a stat-raising game, and I hate all that grindiness. Mm. I hate grinding for things. I want it to be, like, now. What I sort of stats have... do you grind for in a visual novel? Um, it's one of those where it's just, like, you gotta get your intelligence up, and your, like, beauty, and your, like, whatever. Oh, okay. And I started... Well, no, I already had started a hat in time. I think that the thing, the counter said I was like 30% done with it. So, it's it's really weird because it's exceptionally good, and you can see where it took ideas from all sorts of different games, and that's awesome, that's amazing. All of those parts are really good. It's when, like, in the parts where the game tries to be original, I think is where it actually, like, is the worst. Oh, like, give some examples. Like, their own storyline, like, their own original characters are all, like, and their own original ideas. Like, the whole... All the characters at Deadbird Studio are really, like, not great. What? And the story itself is not great. How do you not like the birds? I I don't know, I just don't. Peck you, I, Toast. Peck you. I don't know, I just feel like all of the borrowed and stolen ideas make something greater than what they like the original ideas are comprised of. What about the the uh, murder the murder level on the I feel like I've seen that before though. I feel like they they I seriously feel like they borrowed that. Maybe they did. I don't know, but there it's a great level. Any things that I feel like they were original, but the thing is, I'm not saying that's bad because it makes for a really, really great game that you just have nostalgia for and you don't know why. Plus, you were saying whenever they tried their own stuff, it was awful anyway. So yeah, so they might have just still steal everything, which yeah. is pretty much what they did. Have you <laughs> have you gotten to the big soul stealing guy? Yeah, yeah, he was interesting, but I feel like his sprite, like, his his design was from something. It kind of has, like, an Okage shadow. Yeah, it totally sort of does. To it. And there's, like, another Mario character where it reminds me of that, too. Maybe, like, one of the Paper Mario games or something. Yeah. But, I mean, like, I don't know. <laughs> I love I'm the I'm not saying it's bad. I love the game. But. I love the birds. <laughs> I hate the birds. I hate their accents, and I hate everything about them. Man, I had, like, such a hard time even choosing between them when you get to that point in the game, when you have to, like, pick one over the other. When you have to pack one over the other. Okay, well, the character design on, like, the Scottish bird is better, but his accent makes me want to, like, I I hate it. I hate it so much, so obviously I'm going to go with the penguin. I picked I picked the Scottish one. He he's a lot cuter looking because he looks like some like yellow big bird monster, but <laughs> I I just hate him. I hate him so much. All right, well, to each their own wrong opinions. 
And then I'm also playing Kira, or, uh, Chrono Trigger, and that's all I'm playing. Best game. But we'll code to that. We'll get to that. I like it as well, but I haven't played it in a long time. Oh, really? Right. How far have you got to? Millennium Fair. No, okay. you're still there. I have no time to play it. So how about we just go ahead and talk about that now? We'll switch out host segments sure. in Chrono Trigger. Yeah, that's fair. All right, so Millennium Fair, huh? <laughs> what Wait, have you been doing in the Millennium Fair? I mean, there—I know there are things to do, like the uh, what are those like mini games that do? I have played all of thirty minutes of the game, <laughs> and most of it was spent in the forest outside of town, reacquainting myself with what is their fighting system. Which, that combat system is one of the best going. It is, but it takes some getting used to. That's fair. Because you assume that it's paused, and it is not paused. Well, I actually did get past Millennium Fair, but I forgot to save the whole way there, and so I set down my game to get myself a drink, forgetting that by pause, they mean not pause, and um, I came back to, like me at the start of the game again. I was like, this is great. Oh dear. Nah. It's... I think Millennium Fair and what happens immediately after it, I think it's hard to to look at it now and, and appreciate how much of a game changer that was in terms of... I'm trying to think how to say this without being too spoilery. There are innocuous things that do or don't happen while you're in Millennium Fair that have real consequences just in the next area afterwards in the game. And they're things that you wouldn't even think about doing in RPGs, things you wouldn't have thought of whatsoever. And the game makes you think about them. And it sort of points a finger at you and says, look what you're doing, you disgraceful piece of shit. And... That really got me at the time. I mean, I played it sort of in my early teens when it came out on the DS the first time. And I think I was just about at a point where I could still appreciate it. So I, I think the story actually, and this is sort of besides me because I'm normally one where the gameplay comes first and foremost, but I think Chrono Trigger has one of the best stories around. I think it does sort of a traditional tale but without hitting any of those cliches and while really fleshing out its character see that's that's where uh that was where like i was a little bit disappointed and like i i feel bad using the word disappointed for it because i wasn't disappointed but it didn't live up to the expectations i had of it um I had heard so much about the great story it has and i'll give that it has some phenomenal story beats and I'd heard about all of like the great characters, and I'll also admit that each of the individual characters has you know, a great arc that I really enjoyed following. I think where I was a little bit let down is that there wasn't as much of the... There wasn't as much of a dynamic among the whole group, especially once you start to unlock the final few party members who hmm. only, like only have a couple of scenes to really interact with the whole team before the game's over. So, again, not saying that it was bad in any way, it just wasn't what I was expecting when I had heard such high praise for it. 
that's probably also a concession to the multiple endings as well. Because depending on which paths you go down, different things happen. And especially back in, God, what was that, 1990, 91, 92, whenever it was first released, I, I can't imagine them having the same space for dialogue and for everything that a game like Mass Effect would. How the... I might be misremembering this, but wasn't Chrono's name uh, shortened from Chrono with a H to without purely so that it would fit on the SNES cartridge? I I feel I like know. I read that somewhere. That would make sense to me. Maybe, maybe I'll get fact-checked. I don't know, but I'm almost certain that I'm remembering that correctly. And I also feel like if you didn't, like, I'm not saying get good scrub, but I'm saying if you didn't give yourself time to finish more than one ending, I don't think that that's an accurate representation of what the game has to offer. That's probably fair, yeah. I mean, I guess I guess I didn't do many endings. I mean, I, I got the bad ending, which is obviously really easy to get. You just go to the boss and you die. Um, yeah. And then I think I got the, like best ending because I did all of the character side stories but I mean I I don't know it's weird because I don't think it's also necessarily fair to hold someone to the standard that like if you don't get every ending of a game then you're not going to be able to fairly judge it on the same criteria as somebody who did get every ending in the game no I'm not saying that I'm just saying that if if I know someone didn't like the game and finished only one ending, that might be why they didn't like it. Versus, you know, if they liked it and only finished one ending, I'd be like, okay, awesome. You, you know, there's more to the game. It's just like, it's an indicator as to why they might not have liked it. Yeah. And again, I, I can't state enough times that I did like the game. I, I really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. But... Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. Maybe Rick, maybe you can convince me some more. Well, that the story's good. Well, no, I I do think the story is good, and I think that they, I mean, the whole idea of being able to get multiple endings just on where you approach the final boss at any given point in the story. I mean, the fact that you can literally fight him after the first major story beat is pretty crazy and get an ending right then and there is pretty cool. The game was a pioneer in a lot of ways in terms of that, in terms of the New Game Plus, in terms of the sheer number of endings. Uh, I think it was something like 12 in the original release, which was fairly unheard of for that kind of game at that time. Um, Having your uh, battles happen in the same plane as the plane that you move around in, not switching to a different battle view. And the way that it made that work as well, so having enemies just jump out of bushes and their positions when you see them on the map relating to where they come in, obviously that ties in to the battle system in terms of techs. I think techs are one of the one of the best things about the game because I can't think of any other RPG, even the ones that I've loved massively, that gives you such a big incentive to explore the battle system and try different characters out then um so for, for people who are listening and haven't played chrono trigger yet in your party of three each character will have individual sort of magic attacks and abilities they're called techs and you have your individual techs you have joint techs which are where two characters use a move at the same time for example 
uh, Luca might throw her flame, and Chrono Trigger does his spinning blade attack. And did you just call him Chrono Trigger? <laughs> no, I said Chrono triggers his. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I thought you were Blade. calling the main character Chrono Trigger, like it's a first name, last name. Mr. Know, he's Trigger. Like, he's like Mario. His name's Chrono Chrono, and his brother's <laughs> Luigi Chrono. <laughs> Shoutouts um, to best movie. Best movie ever. Second best movie behind Street Fighter. Oh, what? What would you? What did you say? Goblins 2. Oh, jeez. That's the best one. Oh, my God. Oh, wait. Oh, you <laughs> guys must have troll. a different... You, do you guys have a different I think, name? I for think it? I mean Trolls 2. Yeah, yeah, it's Troll 2. Which, throwback to a really important thing that we talked about in the first couple of episodes of this podcast, that line is sampled in the soundtrack for the best game of all time, Deadbolt. Why Deadbolt? Why have you not bought Deadbolt? <laughs> Buy it. So, Chrono Trigger. You have your individual text... You have. This is why we can never stick to time. You have. I actually forgot to start the timer, so keep going. Well, it's just much your fault as it is mine. So I am absolved. Individual text. I will get through this sentence. You have dual text where two individual texts combine to do something different, and you also have triple text. And so those triple texts generally are massively powerful. And because each character is only using a little bit of MP towards each one, they're actually much more um, expendable and usable than, you know, your typical meteor or whatever it is, massive world-ending attack in an RPG. So there's a big incentive to fiddle around with your party and use different tech moves and try and find those most effective double and triple techs for situations. And also, depending on fights you get into, if enemies are placed in different ways by using different attacks because of their um, ranges. So some attacks will be in a circle radius, some attacks will be in a straight line. So with dual text, things can combine over. There's just so many variables to go into that combat, and it keeps what is otherwise actually a fairly straightforward combat system both accessible and really, really fresh. I think... the thing Sorry, that yeah, the thing that I remember most and that I think I respected most while playing it was most of the boss encounters. I thought mm. that the boss encounters out of everything has probably aged the best. I mean, a lot of the things that you described in terms of like storytelling and like uh combat encounters and stuff, like if you didn't have that experience of like approaching that when the game came out and it was so new, then if you're playing it recently, like me, for the first time, then, you know, you've seen that stuff in games for, you know, decades now. So it's not, it hasn't aged, it's aged just fine, but comparatively to everything else, it just seems like, okay, it's there, great. Whereas... Yeah, so on on the other hand, then, I am much more favorable towards the things like the boss encounters which are just unique on their own like you can't exactly recreate those in another game without just straight up plagiarizing them i thought that the ways that you have to develop your strategies around certain bosses were very innovative um the ways that you have to target different parts with different magic or spells or weapons or whatever um in different orders and that sort of stuff that part was really cool to me. 
the dungeons were very good as well, actually. If we're if we're thinking about that in terms of, and again, it all ties back in in terms of the enemies actually having a meaningful impact on the way that the maps are laid out in terms of what bush they're hidden behind or what door you're going to go into and randomly come across something. It everything just came together. I think I think it was a perfect storm of things and the music. Oh my god, the music. It's my favorite soundtrack, like, I think by far. If it it's wasn't for Wind Waker, it would be, like, my top. It's certainly up there. I yeah. am a massive fan of the Deadbolt soundtrack, obviously. <laughs> but also uh, the work that Darren Corb's done for Supergiant's game, Sebastian, Transistor, Pyre. Uh, there's, the Mirror's Edge soundtrack, I think, is phenomenal. Uh, but Chrono Trigger is definitely up there. Certainly it was, I think, the best soundtrack of its time. Frog's theme is like, oh, so good. <laughs> when we get around to those music podcasts that we were talking about, if I'm oh, right, right yeah. that, will, that will be in mind. I've got dibs on that. Um, just one last beat I do want to hit, though, while I've got the floor and I'm ranting. And just going back to what you were talking about, the story. I think... The story's impactful when you step back and take a look at it. I definitely think your criticism's fair in that as a rapport between party members, there isn't really all that much. They're all individual arcs. But I think in a way that sort of feeds back into the story because the story's all about um, potential, what could have been, you know, opportunities missed and lost and all the rest of it. That ties back certainly into Frog's individual arc and Magus's individual arc but also into into this time travel thing, into the fact that you've got all of these different endings and they're all sort of windows into what could have been. And I think when you look at it in that context, the story is phenomenal on a on a meta level. Uh, but someone stopped me before I get to... <laughs> <laughs> have you ever... Um, do you know the Boss Fight book series? I don't, know. Okay, so... There is a series of books. They're called boss fight books. Okay. And each one is basically like an individual thesis uh, on a certain video game. Uh, so I'm actually pulling up the website right now to see what they have. Anyway, they're basically... I'm, I'm, on, their, um, I'm on the Wikipedia. So the, C, the first book they did was Earthbound. Yeah. And then the second book they did was Chrono Trigger. Yeah, so they they just have like a crap ton of books, and uh, I haven't. I have some of them, and I've read like pieces out of them. I haven't finished any of them yet. I actually wanted to read the Chrono Trigger one before this episode, but did not have the chance to. But in any event, uh, I think that those books are very good at contextualizing a lot of things. Uh, the Chrono Trigger one, from what I've read of it, is actually more of just, like, a person's, like, memoir, <laughs> but through the lens of, like, him as a kid playing Chrono Trigger um, at various stages in his life, and, like, what it meant to him, and uh, all of that sort of stuff. So, it, it's very interesting, and I would recommend that you check that out if you believe as firmly as you do that it is best game. 
I it's certainly up there. From the synopsis on Wikipedia, Williams, the author, drew upon his experience living in Japan and his familiarity with its culture to explore Chrono Trigger's themes, examining the depiction of race, gender, and sexuality in Japanese role-playing games. Now, that sounds a bit out there for me, but if you're recommending it, I will give it a go. Well, the parts that I've read have been a little more down-to-earth, but... uh... You could I, say they were earthbound. Ah, wackity schmackity do. But also, they are all by different authors. Uh, I should point yeah. out. So, yeah. um, so like for example, if if the one for Chrono Trigger is not up your alley, then you could check out another one, like the Earthbound one. Well, if you if you look at the more recent ones, just for the the benefit of the listeners. The most recent one is on Final Fantasy V, but the upcoming ones are on games as varied as Shovel Knight, NBA Jam, and the and the original Postal. Yeah, no, they have honestly a really diverse selection among them. Um, I'm a big fan of Katamari Damacy being on there. I think that's a, a really significant game in a lot of ways in its own right. There's probably there's probably a lot to cover there. We'll probably have to have an entire episode to talk about Katamari Damacy. And yeah. I look forward to it. Oh, hell yeah. Making a note Uh-oh. for that. Uh-oh. Got the show notes <laughs> open right now. Have a full Katamari episode. There. Hang on, I've got my own show notes. Be conveniently sick. And we have to all dress up like Prince. <laughs> well, uh, that's translate. you guys can dress yeah. up as the Prince, but I'm going to dress up as the King of All Cosmos. Oh my god. <laughs> Bulge just... in everything. Oh, <laughs> why did you have to put it like that? Oh no. You'll have to work on your camera setup as well, because at the moment... You have a very tasteful microphone covering what would be your bulge. Well, would I have a bulge coming out of my shirt? Well, if you're going to move the camera, you're going to have to move your whole setup, because at the moment, the mic would still be in the way. This is a conversation I want to be a part of. I looked forward to it. (laughs) For two weeks. Yes, to this conversation. Episode 10, the bulge episode. So, setting my bulge aside... Uh, do we do we have anything else to say about Chrono Trigger? That that is the title. <laughs> Toast, as oh. the one who is currently playing the game, what would you like to say? Um, people who on um, like Game of the Month, why would you vote this game in when none of you are playing it? There are like three people playing it. Go ahead and play it. It's not going to hurt you. Oh, I do have something to say. You've reminded me. Uh-oh. So, if with last time it was Bill Gates, now <clears throat> I know he was a small fish in comparison to this guy. I know I'm making a bit of a leap, but Deathstroke four five eight seven out of ten. Come on now, no, it's not a seven out of ten game. You know that's not true. I think that's the score I gave it. I, I might, wow. I might. After this conversation, I might boost it up to an 8, but probably no more than that. If you want to be around next episode, you'll boost it up to an 8.5. Absolutely. 
if the showrunner wants to be around for the next episode of the show. I've taken over editing duties. I can take over the rest of it. You could just cut out every single line that I say. You're expanding. I I gave it like an 8.5. You can stay. You're okay. Well, because the thing is, I last played it when I was eight, so I was going off of memory from that. You were going off, you ranked every game according to your age. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have a a pretty wonky rating system, then. That's why every game I play now is a 23 out of 10. Even those games that you say you regret playing, it's Mm -hmm. a 23 out of 10. Yep, Shaq Fu, The Legend Reborn, 23 out of 10. Sounds about right. <laughs> um, so, actually, looking at what day it is and what date this episode is probably going to go up, I think that we should do what we've been saying we should do for months now and totally spontaneously come up with our nominations for next game of the month. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> Let me have a look at what's to be I'll played. I'll probably actually nominate it at the time. Okay. Since I'm already playing it currently, I probably won't fi- have it finished by the end of the month, and I think it's a game that a lot of people would have a lot to talk about. I hmm. would agree with that. I... And it's not hard to get. It's like $17 currently, and uh, actually it's $12 if you get the Humble Bundle monthly. So it's more than half off. You're making a good case. Now you just gotta convince the people... The they can't be reasoned with. They're animals. <laughs> Those troglodytes. Yeah. Why do we just spend half of our podcast insulting our few listeners? I mean, we spend enough time insulting each other, it wouldn't eat much into it. That's fair. All we do is talk about Danganronpa and then just say angry things about each other. We just have to feed the hate into the world. <laughs> Something, something, American contemporary politics. <laughs> don't, don't <laughs> even. Yeah, I went there. I <laughs> went there. So, I, this month, I think I'm going to re-nominate Stories, The Path of Destiny. Alright. That's a good choice, too. Almost everybody has it. Well, exactly. And almost everyone has a PC that can run it, because it and doesn't it, seem that graphically demanding. It, it got very close to winning last month. Yeah, it so. did. I voted for it. I did, too. Yeah. I mean, see, so, I'm back in the winner. That's what's happening. So, I I might vote for that, but uh, let's see. What should I actually nominate? It probably would have helped if I like looked through my backlog or something. I mean, if you were going to call it out, you probably should have had something in mind. Well, it was totally spontaneous, though. <laughs> you can't stop me. I'm just too quirky. You just have to throw up the first thing that comes to your mind. Oh, God, but the first thing that comes to my mind is probably going to be awful. What is it? Do it. (laughs) Do it, do it, do it, do it. Just say it. Oh, gosh. Well, now now that, like, I can't even think of anything. Like, I can't name a single video game right now. Do it. All right, well, the first thing that comes to mind, if you really want to know, is Bubsy 3D. Oh my god, yes. Yes. He did a video on it the other day. It was great. (laughs) We all need to play that. I I just watched that video before we started recording. I would hate Play Bubsy 3D. 
as long as no one's expected to beat it, you just have to make a, a college try of it. <laughs> All right, well, I guess that's my nomination for next month. <laughs> Is Bubsy the Bobcat 3D, winner of the Gold X Award for the PlayStation 1 Entertainment System by Sony Entertainment. It came out the day one of my friends was born. Didn't it also come out the day Super Mario 64 came out? Or no, Bubsy? No. Didn't Super Mario 64 come before Bubsy? I would hope so. It would have never competed if it came afterwards, so it must have. Yeah, no, Bubsy just ripped it off from what I remember. (laughs) I have beaten that game before, so... (laughs) Why? I don't know. There there was a time when I just enjoyed playing bad games because I thought it made me, like, really hipster. Or no. Something. Just makes you dumb. Like, <laughs> I grew out of that phase, obviously. I mean, it's not like watching a bad movie where you can still get some entertainment out of, like... Well, at least they tried. I mean, when it's a video game with bad mechanics, like, there's not much you can do to skirt around that. It depends, though, because I thought the Emoji movie would be like that. The Emoji movie was so bad that it went past so bad it's good and became bad again. But that you was... Not to Sorry? Not to show off my punk rock roots too much, but that was just a corporate shill of a movie just it designed solely to make money. Whereas I even watched that movie. super, super drunk, and it still didn't make it any better. Nah. If not, it made it worse because I was then irritated. You need to watch the bad movies where the people making them really had a vision of some sort. And those are the sorts of bad movies that the people from, like, Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Riff Tracks riff on. And that's why they're so entertaining. That's why people love The Room and Troll 2 and stuff, is because there was actually a vision behind them. They were just bad visions. The Room is just, like, a great movie. (laughs) Like, genuinely. It is a good movie. It is just so fun and so, like, loving <laughs> and just the best. Mm-mm. Oh, I love The Room. I love that movie. It is I so endlessly watchable. To keep it on topic of video games, have either of you ever played the Flash video game of The Room? No, That's... I have not. Yeah. And I need to. Yes, you do. I think it was probably originally on Newgrounds or something, but if you just Google it, like, The Room Game or something, <laughs> and if you sort past all of the Escape Room video games, then you will find it. It's called The Room Tribute. It is on Newgrounds. Yep. I am looking at it now. I want to hear... Oh, there... Oh, wow. There's, like, a picture of Tommy Rizzo. <laughs> yep. I actually love the theme song for The Room. I thought it was super, super catchy. <laughs> but how does, I'm not even joking. I thought it was good. How does it rank in comparison to all of the smooth R&B that plays during the sex scenes? <laughs> you just have to, like... You replace the soundtrack with your laughter when you're watching it. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> the text box that pops up, he just walks out and like, what a beautiful day. <laughs> oh, so Rick is, Rick is currently god. playing it. <laughs> Man, I, I'm coming back to that later. 
So maybe our intermission music for this episode will be the... The, the, the room sound, yeah. But it, it'll be the video game version of it. The 8-bit oh. one. The 8-bit version. If I, if I can find a download for it, I'm def- or I guess, Rick, that'll be you putting it in. But... <laughs> but yeah, I'll see what I can do. Radical. Alright, so I guess we're done talking about Chrono Trigger. <laughs> we were done talking about Chrono Trigger 15 minutes ago. <laughs> so this is where you're going to cut things and put the intermission music in. la di da di da I didn't. For, like, for sure. Don't you, you do? don't you dare cut my bulge out. Oh. <laughs> don't you castrate me. No, scalpel. I made it worse, oh my god. I made it so much worse. Yes, you did. Uh, I'll, I'll decide whether I want to cut this out later. Maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> See, I have the power now. Every podcast we record, you know, I decide if it goes in or not. Just keep whatever is entertaining. How about that? None of it will be left. <laughs> you two have so little faith in this podcast and this format. No, I have little faith in, like, you. There we go. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you edit it, then. I mean... All right, so let's move right along and get into our host segments. So I'm going to be at the vanguard of this one because I am chomping at the bit to start my host segment. Uh, I believe the fan voted result, by which I mean one person voted for it and didn't even vote for it by name. What was... you mean, Kurt, is there was unanimous fan support for this podcasts technically technically you are 100 percent true there is 100 percent fan support unanimous the fans spoke and they spoke with a single voice <laughs> so literally. literally a single voice so the one that i'm going with at least for now is grading on a curve in which I will take a video game that is pretty much maligned by a lot of people, and I'll try to argue why maybe it's actually kind of okay. So, I was thinking about this for a while today, and I'm going to give the first honors to one of my beloved video games, Star Fox Adventures. That, that's not a bad game. It's not a bad game, but it's it not has... Star Fox game. Uh, yeah, it should have been something else, but I think that it was series, like, I think it needed it, kind of. It was something else. When they were making it, Rare were making it as a new IP, and then um, Miyamoto saw it, and he was like, that looks great, let's put a fox in it. And so, Crystal is like... Bay. Bay. She is, like, why do they keep making animal characters look sexy? Stop it. <laughs> People you know they're not going to stop the that. There's clearly a market for that shit. That's why. I saw, I think I saw a meme, like, on Twitter or something the other day, which was, like, there was, like, a question at the top of it that was saying, like, why are all millennials these days socialists and furries? And then they just put a picture of Disney's Robin Hood underneath it. Like, the fox. <laughs> 
<laughs> so anyway, my defense of Star Fox Adventures. Now, to be fair, like it had a pretty good reception when it was released, uh, and like there were even some fans that got behind it. But in the years since then, it has definitely gotten a reputation as, you know, like you guys have said, the worst Star Fox game and that sort of stuff. I wouldn't even say that. I would, I think, yeah, I thought it was the best one. Yeah. And that was not a good Star Fox game. So, anyway, I'm going to defend it here. Even if you guys care about it as much as I do, I still feel the need to stand for it. Okay. So, a, a big, one really annoying uh, complaint that has been lobbed against it especially recently, once people really found out about Dinosaur Planet, like, people for a while forgot that it was going to be another game before it became Star Fox Adventures, but once, like, I think the script, the original script for Dinosaur Planet was uncovered and posted online, and people read that, and they were like, OMG, this would have been so much better than Star Fox Adventures. And I can't really argue that. Like, the story might have been better, but the gameplay, I assure you, other than the shooting flying sections, would have been exactly the same, if not a little bit worse. I think that it really benefited from having the support of Nintendo behind it, and I think it really got that support I'm, because of Miyamoto, honestly. Miyamoto, I'm not gonna say he put his neck out on it, but... Uh, he he took a chance on a really ambitious looking game. Like I was actually watching a video on it before we started recording, and they they wanted this game to be on the N sixty four, which both of you probably already know. But I mean, there is no way that game could have possibly been on the N sixty four. Uh, the fact that they wanted to have full voice acting on it, the fact that they were going to have, I believe, a bigger world than Ocarina of Time, you were going to have two playable characters that could switch at will, basically, which <laughs> would have been... I can't even fathom how they could have implemented that for the N64, especially in like an open-world, dungeon-style game. So... It just would not have been possible, and like they knew that, and that's why it got bumped over to GameCube. But I still have to doubt whether it would have turned out as polished as it did if it wasn't for the rebranding that it got. I think it was just too ambitious. Now, I can't support any of that with evidence, on obviously, but... It does bother me when the converse is stated as if it was a fact. If it was Dinosaur Planet, it would have been a better game. Like, I I don't think there is any valid reasoning behind that. Uh, other than that, the arguments that I'll give is that the combat, despite being kind of simple, is really flashy and pretty fun. It gets kind of repetitive, but... I like that there are different enemy varieties. There are your your normal enemies, your elite enemies. They have different tactics that you need to approach them with. I like the power-ups that you get for the staff. Um, even those are just very nice to look at. Um, 
you know, you have your basic shooting, but you also have, like, your high jump sort of stuff, and the, like, one where you can disguise yourself as a dinosaur. Because ultimately, underneath everything, it still has the genetic coding from Dinosaur Planet. You still go to all the areas you would have gone in that game. You still encounter all of the characters on Dinosaur Planet you would have encountered. It's just that there's a weird frame story around it that I will give is awkward and clunky and out of place. But once you get on the planet, you can forget it's a Star Fox game, basically. You don't really communicate with the Star Fox team through the meat of the game, and that's it, basically. It, it's basically a Star Fox game at the beginning and the end and the flying sections, but other than that, pretty much the same. Anyway, that's pretty much all I have to say. Okay, so that's you grading on a curve. Toast, do you want to go? Uh, let's see... What do I have to recommend? Oh, Vim and... <laughs> Vim and Vigor is what I was looking for. Hey, okay. are you perk up as soon as you get, like, a shot at me? Oh. I guess what I have been doing is, um... I've been testing out various markers, I guess. So, um... Like... For everybody who uses markers, you all should know that Copics are expensive because they're eight or nine dollars a marker. So I've been like figuring out um, alternatives, and I guess if you're into that, I have found that um, Ohua's and Art and Fly brush markers are both considerably cheaper, and in my opinion, just as good. So I guess that's my Recommendation. Niche within a niche within a niche. Jesus. I was about to say. But well, I, I don't have anything else to recommend, and it wasn't explicitly video games we had to recommend. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. It's but, just uh, versatile, I guess. If you're into brush markers, Art and Flies and Ahuas are very good. There you go. <laughs> if like me, you were left cold by those two host segments. Don't worry, because the stalwart recommendations is back, and you lucky sods, it's a triple feature this time. Oh, so, no. What do you mean, oh, no? So, I'm going to blast through them. The first one, if you loved Brockhampton's song 1999 Wildfire from last time, they've just literally four hours ago dropped a new track called 1998 Truman. And I'm sure that'll be on trending if you're looking for that there. Just as good as the last track I've sent you away. Fantastic. Band, go and give it a listen. Once you finish listening to that, the second recommendation, and I just thought of it when I was talking about Shimigami Tensei 4 earlier in the episode, one of the overworld tracks for that, simply called Tokyo, is phenomenal. Beautiful piece of music. So go and listen to that. And the final one, and this is the actual game, if you, like me, are desperately waiting for Cyberpunk 2077 to come out and you need to get that technological fantasy fix, what better than Transistor? Great little cheat game, super giant games, Darren Corb's soundtrack, best guy in the game. Go and give it a play. 
So she looks shell shocked. Well, no, transistor is not bad. Uh, I would also argue. Not bad. It's not bad. Oh. I actually, I'm not a big fan of. Um, isn't it like? I can't remember what their game company is, but um, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan. I feel like they're a little bit overhyped. I so think that's. Think so. Honestly, I kind of feel the same way. And oh. I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that their art direction is beautiful. And for the most part, I like the music. When I'm actually playing it, I don't think that there's anything, like... It, it's all like it could be replaced by a different gaming experience, and I don't think that I would, like... It, it's just what it is, I guess. Bastion, I'd agree with you. I think that is quite generic if you strip away the aesthetic, which I think is what you're sort of saying. And I have spent the most time playing Bastion, so maybe you're right. I haven't dedicated the time and effort to some of their other ones like I have for Bastion. So it's the one I'm most familiar with, and it feels apparent for me. Like, I don't... I didn't like, actually... I wanted to like the music and the voice acting in Bastion, and I don't think that they're bad. I just think that they get praise that they don't deserve. Hmm, I mean... It- I suspect a lot of that comes more from the time when they came out. You know, that was one of the first Xbox Live Arcade games. It came through in that sort of braid limbo era team back when uh, those indie games were getting all the praise and were infinitely more discoverable than they are now. I do think it holds up. I do think also clearly that game was them finding their feet in a lot of respect. Transistor is much better. Pyre is very different, but equally, you know, just another step above. Pyre, I refunded. Pardon? Pyre, I refunded. <laughs> I'm going to have to find two new hosts. What's going on? I'm Why sorry. It wasn't what I wanted, and I paid too much money. <laughs> I mean, I can't even argue with that logic, but still. <laughs> I mean, what did you want? I wanted it to not be like that. I wanted the game mechanics to be less weird. I don't think the game mechanics are all that weird. That's the one like with the, like soccer, right? Yeah, it's fantasy basketball, basically. Yeah, it didn't play like I wanted it to play. It's not fun. Open your mind, Toast. Not every game has to be a visual novel. I'm not saying it does, I just say it have like it has to be fun though. For those of you at home, you can't see it, but I'm miming reeling in that. I, I'm not gonna take the bait, you can be unhappy you're, by yourself. You've already taken the bait, that's sort of my point. <laughs> right. Well, it's fine. Whatever. Okay. I just didn't like it, and you're pissy, so it's fine. Kerf, move us along, come on. Alright, so... Moving right along. Da, 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 Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. da, 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 Wait, which new one? The one with Jim Parsons in it. Mm, I don't know people's names. Okay, that uh, one's actually the newer one. That's not the original. No, it's, it's the newer one I'm talking about. The guy... 
The um, Sheldon is Jim Parsons. Yeah, he has a little cameo. The main guy is the one out of How I Met Your Mother. Um, yeah, yeah. I can't remember his name. Yeah, that that one's good. And then the, I mean, there are other good Muppets movies, but then like the original original Muppet movie is, I consider it to be the great American film. Just the whole Muppets next to Fantastic Mr. Fox. Those two. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, moving actually long. Um, <laughs> for the sake of time, we have decided when we handle our questions that instead of trying to do one for each of the three of us, which just takes up too much time, we're instead going to focus on one per episode and just dig into it in extraordinary detail. So today's question, uh, I just wrote it down, but Rick, do you remember who actually proposed the question? Yeah, it's courtesy of Screaming Shadow. All right, Screaming Shadow, who asked, who are the most memorable villains in gaming? And we're going to kind of take some liberties with this question, because in our pre-recording discussion, we realized that there are just too many memorable villains, but we don't necessarily think all of them are great. Like, some of them are just memorable because they've appeared so many times in video games that you can't help but remember them. So we're going to talk about ones that are memorable because they're good, basically. So I think we, we all agreed that GLaDOS was sort of uh, a first draft pick for that. Yeah, the I think the two that came to mind instantaneously were GLaDOS and Handsome Jack, Handsome Jack from yeah. Borderlands. And that was almost unanimous among the three of us, where those two kind of came to the top. Um, so let's talk about them for a little bit. I mean, obviously GLaDOS, I mean, has multiple reasons for being as beloved as she is. Um, one being and also just... for being as messed up as she is. Yeah, she is absolutely psychopathic, but totally sardonic in the way that she delivers uh, her dialogue, which just makes it so great she's a robot but she actually has a personality i find that in a lot of video games the whole joke is oh this robot doesn't have a personality but no she actually does have one and it's completely messed up and she is a bitch <laughs> man i mean i'm just playing through the start of portal 2 and obviously i don't think this is a great spoiler but obviously at the start of portal 2 at the end of portal 1 you have had a battle with GLaDOS and you've beaten her. And then you come back as the same character and GLaDOS is booted back up and boy does she remember. <laughs> and every two seconds she's making a comment about how shit you look in your jumpsuit. And she's like, oh, that might just be a subjective opinion. Oh no, the uh, the person who wrote it was a medical doctor of art and fashion. And they said it was just you specifically that looked shit in it. She just um, roasts you. Not and she's awesome. like, you know, you tried to kill me, but I'm not dead. And she <laughs> and she has a beautiful singing voice. Let yes. us not forget. <laughs> I mean, it's easy that to it's un it's easy to underrate today just how much of a delightful surprise still alive was playing at the end mm. of Portal for the first time. If you know it's coming, then it might not hit you the way it would when it was just 
there. You get to the end of this game, it's short, it's weird, it's silly and dark, and then the villain just sings to you about cake, and it, it is it is phenomenal. And how much you... Sorry, Paul. Oh, even better is the fact that the person who voices GLaDOS is, like, a sweetheart. Oh, She's yeah. a wonderful lady. The best... The people who play the best villains are always the kindest people. 100%. So, now, moving along to Handsome Jack. I think I rate him a little bit less than you guys do. I also play Borderlands 2 on the Vita, so it may well be that the things he did lacked a certain punch. But uh, I thought he was distinctly okay. He felt like a bit of a Joker ripper to me, sort of. Oh my god, I'm nuts! <laughs> he does get better if you, even though the pre-sequels was not the best game, his like character motivation and his arc in that game was really, really good because well, you got to play with him. Yeah, if, if you follow, like, Borderlands 2, I mean, he definitely, he's well-written. Like, yeah. there's kind of no doubt about that. Like, whether or not the character really resonates, there you can't deny that he's just phenomenally written. Like, the humor yeah, and the, uh, the dread that is imparted to the player upon certain things that he says to you, those things are just almost objectively handled very well. I think that he really does shine, like Toast was saying, in some of the other games when you really delve more into like his psyche, basically, and understand why he is the way he is. Mm. That sort of stuff. Uh, yeah. Why don't we all make a left-field pick? So like a really random, really great, maybe unsung villain. Ooh. Ooh, okay. Because I was going through my completions, and one that jumped out at me, and this might not be one that everyone's particularly familiar with, but it is the Doctor from the Dimension games. So, for context, those games find you waking up in an abandoned hospital with zombies wandering around. It later transpires that you are, or appear to be, because all of this is shrouded in ambiguity, are a mental patient who's been operated on by this Doctor this doctor is doing some weird voodoo shit with you and you don't know how much of what he's doing is him how much of it is his alter ego that you keep seeing and how much of it is your mind messing with itself but he is gloriously absent you see him very rarely but when he's there he's pitched perfectly and so you're constantly dreading this guy appearing and turning up and I think what cemented it for me is something that happens right in the end of Dimension 2 I won't spoil it, but it essentially was a double plot twist. It got you, and you, you thought it got you like, what the fuck? And then it got you again. And it was just like, amazing. Great villain. Yeah. Okay, I've got mine. Um, I'm a pretty big fan of, if I had to choose between the two, I prefer Silent Hill over Resident Evil and Pyramid Head. You genuinely Ooh. fear an encounter with Pyramid Head because you never know when it's going to happen and you never know if you're going to make it out alive or not. And so Pyramid Head is a fantastic villain because he doesn't say anything and he never has to. Well, I think and that's so, sort of what makes him so scary. The fact yes. that he's human but at the same time so very not. 
oh, I think he's he's a great villain. One of the uh, I think the the moment from Silent Hill two that probably stood out the most for me in terms of being afraid of Pyramid Head was not when he's like actually coming after you trying to kill you, but I believe it's in the apartments when um like i mean that whole level you're basically just moving up and down wandering around trying to find out where to go but there's one floor where there's like this gate that blocks you off from being able to see the rest of the apartments and you pass by this gate like a dozen times going back and forth across the floors but on one visit back to that floor pyramid head is just standing behind that gate and he's not doing anything else. He's just standing there. If you get close to him, and I mean, you can get right up to the gate. You're basically touching noses with him. And he still doesn't do a thing. He doesn't do anything to you. And that almost made me crap my pants. He's just there, being present. The expectation, isn't it? And this yeah. is sort of what we in that last episode. Because there's never any resolution, you just have this tension held. For me, there was, like, a cutscene where he was, like, doing weird shit to, like, one of the mannequin things, and that really freaked me out. So that was, like, the moment where I'm like, yeah, no, I I just don't want anything to do with Pyramid Head. So, like... Oh my you know, god. Like, I, I get the, like, the, the not doing anything, but him doing weirder stuff was, like, what, like, freaked me out. Can't deal with it. Samus X. From Metroid Fusion. Pretty scary. Yeah, I'll give you oh, that. Great villain. And it, I think it's a pyramid head thing again, but in addition to being this thing that looks like you, but it isn't, it is also a persistent and ruthless opponent. Whenever it sees you, it comes at you. And obviously there's a redemption arc and the, the whole thing that happens in what Metroid Fusion calls a story. But right up until the very end of the game, Samus X is one of the few adversaries in a video game that genuinely shit me. Um, I am definitely all for villains that have redemption arcs. So I've I've got a couple that I just came up with off the top of my head since you mentioned that. Um, One, since I talked about Iconoclasts last episode, I'll just bring up there's a villain... Actually, honestly, all the villains in that game are great. Um, I'm particularly a fan of Agent Black, who is kind of like the rival character who you fight multiple times throughout the course of the narrative. And also... uh, What's his name? Chrome, General Chrome, uh, who is like, I don't know, he kind of like really instigates much of the endgame sort of stuff. And what I love about Chrome as a character is that he is completely driven by, you know, it's a pretty demented philosophy that he has, but it also has some weight to it. Like, Obviously, you would say, you know, that's wrong because, you know, he's killing people and stuff, but he's still better than the other villains in a way. Like, what he represents is kinder and preserves more lives, even though he takes a completely demented way to get there. Um, And he 100% buys into it. And he's threatening and he's manipulative and 
under that he never loses his cool and that in its own is pretty awesome and then black is just pretty much your uh she's pretty archetypical i would say underneath everything she has yeah she has her tragic backstory and uh that's why she is the way she is but she's also just incredibly brutal and you find out some revelations about her towards the end of the game that put everything into a completely new context. Uh, the other one I was going to give a shout out to for Redemption Arcs is Count Bleck from Super Paper Mario, which sounds like a weird choice, but you've got to trust me on this one. Super Paper Mario has an incredible story, one that is genuinely heartbreaking, and you would not expect it for being what it is, but I I think people should give that game more of a chance than they did back then. One more that jumps to my mind is Chairman Dread from Ratchet and Clank. Oh yeah, yeah. What a great little villain. Yeah, totally. See, I, I I can't really even call much to mind of his like personality or anything at the moment, but maybe that's just he me. Was the- perfect capitalistic parody which is said as someone who has no issue with capitalism whatsoever but his whole shtick was um, our world is dying so we're just going to fucking take yours because we can and because we've got dollar and so they randomly oh um, he was done so well that people kept ripping off that villain to put him on other things like ukulele ripped him off for capital B like capital B (laughs) Legit. He was done so well, Chairman Drax. Mm-hmm. Arguably better than the main characters in that game, and that was probably the game yeah. that best characterized him. But nailed it. And um, I enjoyed it even more, sort of seeing the way he goes out at the end of that. Because the first time I played Ratchet and Clank, I never beat it. I got stuck at the final boss for time, and then I came back to the remakes on Vita, and I breezed through it. I think it was my third attempt. And it's just like, wow, I was not good at games when I was... That's uh, the way it works, yeah. That is the way it works. But yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else that I desperately don't want to to miss mentioning. I have a couple more shout-outs. Yeah, go ahead. So, obviously, I can't not bring up Metal Gear Solid. Uh, There are some absolutely amazing villains within that series uh you can silence your mouth forever so i mean (laughs) in the in the first game you've got sniper wolf uh who is i mean that that scene will never not break my heart because partially because of otacon's character development but partially just because of the conversation that occurs as a result of it uh, Liquid Snake, I could, you know, I could leave or take him. But Revolver Ocelot, just Ocelot in general throughout the entire series, probably stands out the most. Uh, who he is as a character, his motivations, which it takes like literally four games to even comprehend which is, I'll grant, excessive, but it pays off so, so very well. 
when you get to the final scenes, the final battles of Metal Gear Solid 4, and you realize just how contextualized everything from the past four games is, it, it few things have changed me like that in a video game, just transformationally. Uh, other characters worth mentioning, the boss, obviously, from Metal Gear Solid 3, her motivations, and... Uh, all of that. Uh, the End, also from Metal Gear Solid 3. Um, Vamp from Metal Gear Solid 2 is definitely memorable, if nothing else. Mm. Um, Hang on. I'm sorry, do you finish with Metal Gear? I think I'm done with Metal Gear. How have we not mentioned Mon Akuma and the Ultimate Despair? <laughs> well, I was kind of waiting. Oh my gosh, I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Happen? Monokuma, yeah, yeah. I was going to bring it up if nobody else did, but I was waiting. It just occurred to me, I was like, hang on, we're the Danganronpa fancast. How did this not <laughs> sooner? Just... Dumb. I, I like Ultimate Despair much more than I do Monokuma. Monokuma really? always... Monokuma gives me the feeling of a MacGuffin a lot of the time. Um, and I just feel a little bit confused by him, whereas the Ultimate Despair is single-minded and scarily capable. I'm not sure if you're using the term MacGuffin right. <laughs> um, I might not be. I sort of think I am. I feel like a lot of the time he's just there to say the right thing to make them think and act in the right way to advance the story. So maybe That's... MacGuffin by proxy is a bit more apt. Yeah. I feel like he's more relatable, though, than... Um, the ultimate despair is because I just feel like he says things in a way that you can actually start to buy into what he's believing because he's yeah. not it's it's just he does it a little bit better than that other person does I mean I think you're not supposed to buy into the ultimate despair's way of looking at things yeah That's I know point of it. why Monokuma works is because you can almost him. Yeah, I get that. That's fair. I just, I just love how much of a little shit Monokuma is. Yeah. And like, yeah, he's my favorite. The fact that he'll just show up anywhere and just say the most inappropriate things, no matter what is going on. And the Monokuma theaters, <laughs> in the cases and between days and stuff, that just have absolutely nothing to do with anything that's going on. Sometimes they hit a little close to home. Yeah, like, they are they get weirdly relatable. Like, times. especially the ones about people who are talented and not talented. That one was like, ugh. Because you try to fight against what he's saying, but sometimes it's hard. Yeah. And I think that is also part of the genius of the character, is because so much of it will just be absolute nonsense, and then he'll say something that is, like, weirdly profound, and then instantly follow it up by, like, saying a meme, basically. Yeah. Spouting off crap. Uh, yeah. And I... And I'll say this. Uh, Virtue's Last Reward, the second game in the Zero Escape series, they totally ripped off Monokuma with the yes. villain in that game. Totally ripped off Monokuma. Which was a real shame, because I think they actually did themselves a disservice. I think Zero's a great villain. 
I would actually say that they ripped off Jigsaw more than they ripped off Motokuma for that game. It's probably a bit of an amalgam, in fairness. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely has, like... He's creepier than Monokuma, for sure. So more on Jigsaw on that end. But he also, I mean, he has the whole cartoon voice and says the sorts of inappropriate things. So he, he is kind of a blend. Mm. Oh, there's one I was going to mention. Let's While switch. you're thinking about that, I'm also just going to shout out the Ace Attorney series, which uh, not all of the villains are great, but... I'll just mention a few if we're just talking about prosecutors. Obviously, Miles Edgeworth is probably the best character in the entire series. Uh, Francisca Vart von Karma and Godot from the third game are also very, very great characters. Not really villains, I guess you could say. Um, and I'm not going to spoil villains, but I'll just say what cases they're related with. Uh, the villain from... Uh, the first Ace Attorney game, the fourth case, is great. The villain from the fifth added case is also great. Within the second game, the villain of the fourth case, and to a lesser extent from the second case. Uh, the villain from the final case in the third game, Trials and Tribulations, gets a shout out. But I think that the best villain probably in the entire series is actually from the Japan-only release of Miles Edgeworth Investigations 2. The mm. mastermind of that entire game is probably, next to Edgeworth, one of the best characters in that entire series. So, again, I'm going to recommend everybody pick up that fan translation and play through it, because it is a top-tier game with top-tier writing and top-tier villains. I think those are all my villains. I'm villained out. Villained out. I had one, and it's annoying me that it popped straight back out of my head. Uh, but I suppose you could say they can't be that memorable if that is the case. <laughs> yeah, I said it. I went there. Uh, I'm happy to call it there. Okay. okay. Toast, do you I have ever dread even though he's not like a real villain i always like that the fact that he started off yeah he gets a redemption arc yeah i always liked ever dread quite a bit see the problem there is i was thinking about our lord and savior ever dread creator of hltd <laughs> oh no yeah he's the uh, best I know, what did he do <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate antagonist <laughs> he's playing the long game um do we want to open it up right at the end here to just generally memorable villains? Maybe not the greatest, but ones that we just know. We don't even have to explain why. Just list them off, basically. Um, I don't think there's any need. I think everybody just knows. Yeah, probably true. Alright, cool. If we've um, forgotten anyone, let us know at the forums or on our Twitter. Please do, and thank you for reminding me, Rick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, finger guns all the way. So, as Rick was saying, we are sort of accessible via the internet. Uh, you can always send us a message on Discord, or on How Long To Beat Itself, or on Twitter, 
at HLTB Podcast. Uh, I will also make sure, as was mentioned on the forums, to put a link to our Twitter in the show notes so that people can more easily access that. Um, we should probably get the Discord invite out as well. Say that again? Discord. What about it? We should probably put an invite link in the show notes. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Um, so again, I'm Curve Murph on Discord. Ultimate Zombie Toast is Ultimate Zombie Toast on Discord. Rick, again, has decided for unfathomable reasons to go by Brother Hammer. Chinese so, translation of Thor. Yes, we all know. We all know your horrible reasoning. How dare you? <laughs> I will spite you down with the power of thunder. With the power of editing. Bye, Asgard. Yeah. So, uh, again, like we were saying, please, please, please give us more questions to answer. Uh, we are quickly running out of those, so uh, maybe we can bump that thread so it can be more visible for people. Uh, please interact with us. Please, please, please. Uh, we're kind of just talking into a void if nobody gives us any feedback or criticisms or compliments. Uh, we really want to know if you guys are enjoying these, if there's anything we can do to make them more enjoyable. Uh, if you like the segments, we're doing great. If you don't like the segments we're doing, we'll take any suggestions about anything else we can do. Uh, really, we want this to be a podcast for the benefit of the community, and we want it to be something you all can enjoy. So, have I missed anything? Guest hosts. <laughs> Guest hosting. Uh, so, <laughs> nobody reached out to us! Uh, which may be a factor of the last episode was only uploaded a couple of days before this episode, uh, the last episode went up. Uh, wait, I, so I'm, far, I'm getting lost in my own words. Has been featured, so we're keeping on top of it really well so far. <laughs> so, again, if you want to be on an episode, we would love to have you. All you need is a microphone and working internet connection and Discord, and that is it. Uh, if you want to be on here, it's very low-key. We'll probably do a short interview with you just to ask you about your gaming habits and whatnot. If you want to be part of the rest of the discussion, we'd love to keep you around. You can weigh in on your recently beat and currently playing, just like we do every two weeks. I'm sure it gets boring hearing our voices alone. I'm sure it does not. <laughs> For certain people, I'm sure it does. But it would be le it would be less boring if we had additional voices to weigh in also. So, that being said, I think we're ready to close out. Anybody have announcements or anything else to say? I'd, I'd like to announce that for the first time, I think we might actually fall within the time boundaries that we were aiming for. Yeah. Not if you keep talking. We've got two minutes to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's my cue. I'm done. All right. Uh, so, we're going to bop right on out of here. So... So long, farewell, Alvita, say goodbye. Bye bye. Do, 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 do.